Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and this is TeachMeToTalk.com's podcast. Today we're going to be continuing a topic that we started a couple of weeks ago with speech intelligibility in toddlers. And if you haven't listened to part one of that show, go back and listen to that because in, there was some great information in there. We had norms with intelligibility guidelines per age, like how much should a child be understood or how much should we understand that a child is saying by a certain age. We also really talked about red flags that mean that articulation should be a treatment priority, but we spent lots and lots of time talking about when we would not target speech intelligibility in toddlers. And I hope that you'll go back and listen to that. I don't want to be too repetitive, but we have to remember (laughs) that language is always a priority with toddlers. It's more important that they try to communicate, that they have something to say. And so my point with that is we would never start with a nonverbal kid with looking at at sounds and looking at how how can I teach him to talk through these kinds of speech techniques that we're talking about today. For those kinds of kids who aren't communicating at all, who aren't using their little voices, who aren't trying to say words, language should be the focus, meaning the vocabulary. Again, using gestures, trying to communicate a message. Today the things that we're going to be talking about are more speech-related, so I wanted to be sure that you are making that clarification. So if we've used... All of that clinical rationale that we talked about before, and we have decided, okay, this is a kid that we should be looking at his speech intelligibility. What do we work on first? What are some first things that we should target? And again, let me give you the resources that have been so helpful for me as I wrapped my head around this and came to my own clinical philosophy with this. So much of this information is based on Barbara Hodson's work with phonological development, meaning that we teach patterns rather than individual speech sounds. And a lot of things that we're going to talk about today are techniques that I've adapted from Pam Marshalla, who was a wonderful speech-language pathologist. And I'll give you some um, really specific references and some resources that you can use and that you can find on your own. And let me just say, too, (laughs) this show, I try really, really hard to ride the fence between making it appropriate for parents and therapists so that everybody who's listening, this wide, vast audience that we've accumulated over the last nine years, um, that we can make it applicable for everybody. So we're not going to be as technical about this information as we would if this were a continuing education conference or if we were primarily talking uh, to a group of therapists. But if you're a parent, I also want to say that some of this stuff may not be as relative to you or uh, you may think this is just a little bit over my head. And, you know, that's okay, too. And I don't want you to feel like that it's too technical. So, again, I'm trying really hard to ride that fence (laughs) and make sure that everybody gets information they can use. And if you're a therapist, this is exactly the kind of information that you'll share with parents. And this is how you talk about it and how you'll explain it and how it will come um, be more usable to you rather than something that's too clinical or too jargony for a parent to use All right, or, or really, really understand. 
So let's look at how we determine our first targets for intelligible speech in toddlers. And this is a hierarchy. And if you've listened to the show or read any of my uh, therapy manuals that I've written, you'll know that I always talk a lot about hierarchies. And hierarchy means simply order. What's the, what's the biggest priority? What's the next biggest priority? What, where do we start? Because you can really screw this up with a kid <laughs> if you work on something that's too hard. And what, what happens when we work on intelligibility or a target that's or a goal that's too difficult with a kid? They shut down. They plateau. They avoid. They try to escape. And so, again, that's how you'll know, too. If you start working on some of these things with a kid and he just totally – uh, he's been happy and participatory, and all of a sudden you're seeing a lot of new behaviors that you've never seen before, that's a real clue that what you're trying to do is probably at a level that's too high for him or too advanced. And so you need to, as I always say, back up and work on something that's a little bit easier. And so that's why I always take kind of a hierarchy approach, whether we're, whatever we're talking about, whether it's expressive language, whether we're just looking at receptive language development, whether we're looking at the whole thing and we're, we start always say, okay, if you can't do intelligibility, if that's too hard, look at expressive language. If you can't do expressive language yet because that's too hard, look back at receptive language. If, you, if receptive language is still you know, iffy for a kid, you've got to really start looking at his cognition. And, again, if you can't get his attention with his social interaction skills, boy, that's the biggest priority. So I just kind of walk through my treatment hierarchy backwards, meaning that we started with the most difficult part, which is what this intelligibility stuff is. So if you start with a kid and you're thinking, oh, I'm getting nowhere, it's because he's not ready for this. And so what do you do? You just stop. <laughs> you you don't do it anymore. You back up and work on easier things. And like I said, I, I watched you through that whole, you know, intelligibility is the hardest, and then we focus on uh, you know, if that's too hard, you know, we went through that whole little diagram there, that whole little sequence. Same thing with what we're presenting here today, except we're going to start with the easiest stuff. So what do we look at first? If we have a kid who is talking a blue streak and we know that he is using real words, and remember last show we talked a lot about jargon and how some parents really think, excuse me, that a child is speaking in sentences when he's really, really not. He's using lots of unintelligible speech, and it's not really directed toward anybody, so it's not really, uh, we don't view it as communicative because he's not, <coughs> excuse me, he's not trying really hard to get your attention. He's not right in your face saying it. He's not giving you any other indications of what he means. He's not using any other nonverbal communications like pointing or gesturing to try to get his point across. Those are all things that let you know when a kid's not doing that, that his verbalizations are probably jargon. And so, again, we're not talking about these kinds of kids. We're talking about kids who clearly are communicating, who understand language. You can give them directions and they're following it. If you say, uh, if they try to say a word, and let's, say, let's use this example. Let's say that they, they say, duh, for shoe. And that's way off. You know, the consonant's not right and the vowel's not right. <laughs> And you think, well, boy, he says duh every time he, he's ta he seems to be talking about shoes. He says duh, that's just his word for shoes. 
you could say to that kid, where's your shoe? And he would get it. There would be no question in your mind that he understood shoe. So when you have a kid who's not doing that, who's who seems to just be blabbing on and on and on and on with none of those other indicators that we just mentioned, the gestures and the other nonverbal means of letting you know, again, that's not a kid that we're talking about today. That's not that's not a kid who's ready for this approach. And so, again, I've used about five minutes to kind of talk myself in circles <laughs> with making sure that you know the kinds of kids that we should be looking at when we're thinking about treating speech intelligibility. So let's start with the first little level. What's the first thing that you look at when a kid is clearly clearly purposefully communicating to you, but he has a lot of words that you don't understand. Well, the first thing that we should analyze is, is the child using the correct number of syllables in a word? Now, for parents, remember that syllables are those parts of a word like bubble is two syllables because you've got ba and bull. And ma, ma, how many syllables is that? That's two, ma and ma, right? Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, telescope. How many syllables is that? Telescope. So those segments of words, all right? So when a kid is not using the correct number of syllables in a word, that's our very first target. So let's say that a kid says mo for Elmo, or he says, like we said before, buh for bubble, or um, he's just everything is reduced to one syllable. Dada is or daddy is da. And again, sometimes parents will say, he's trying to say dad. He's not trying to say dada or dad or daddy or something that would be longer. That's fine too, but my point is when you, or, or a kid who says cool for cookie or key for cookie or uh, we've got to get the number of syllables right first because that affects intelligibility or that will make the greatest impact with making sure that a kid is understood more than any other goal. The reason also that we start here is because using uh, those duplicated or reduplicative syllables is a really early pattern. If you'll think about it, many of the common first words that babies try to do are that pattern, mama, dada, night, night. Um, they might say nana for banana. All of all of those little early words. Go back and sort of think about that. And again, for children that you're working with, who who are developmentally ready to work on articulation, they already have lots of words. So analyze the words that they're already trying to use and making errors with, because that language is already meaningful for them. And pick from those targets. So if you have a kid, let's say he just says, uh, let's say he says something like two for choo-choo train and he loves trains, that's that's something I would try to get him to say is choo-choo for that, for um, addressing this first target with speech intelligibility. And I hope that makes sense to you. So take a look at his vocabulary, take a look at what he's already trying to say and, and see are there any words here that should be two-syllable words, and let's just start with two-syllable words before we even get to three-syllable words, <laughs> but are there are there any errors like that? Because that, I should fix that first. That would be an easy, an easier target to address. Now, let me say one other thing. If you have a kid who's predominantly speaking in two-word or, or single-syllable words and doesn't have any kind of two-word combinations, so let's say he's saying, let's go back to bubble. Let's say that he says buff or bubble, and let's say he has the word uh, please, and he might say e. So if he's saying buh e 
for Bubbles, please. That's great, and that's perfect. This is exactly the kind of kid you want to work with because you know that he already has enough words in his vocabulary to kind of pull from, and he already knows that he can join two syllables and two two word words or word-like approximations, he already gets that whole combining thing. A lot of our kids don't. And so we'll see kids who may have, you know, 125 words that mom has carefully listed as she's done a word journal, but they're not combining anything. Sometimes those kids also need this work because that's the problem. They can't sequence yet. They can't join uh, two, two different syllables yet. So that that's the, the syllableness is missing, and that also affects their language development because you're not hearing anything that sounds like phrases from those kids too. So those are the two kinds of kids that we would work with with this goal. Kids who simplify multisyllabic words to one syllable and kids who also are using what sounds like lots and lots of single words, but when you take a and, and they haven't moved on to phrases, but you take a really close look at it and you think, hmm, that's the reason I'm not hearing more phrase attempts here because I can't really combine these words yet. They they don't really understand how to uh, sequence and how to get syllables together and join them so that it sounds more like a little phrase. So those are the two kinds of kids that we're really looking at, uh, particularly for this goal. So let me say one more thing, too. I like using real words to work on uh, all of these speech intelligibility goals that we're talking about. Now, some speech pathologists do use nonsense syllables or babbling. And so to work on something like sequencing, they may say things like, well, we're just going to sit and babble, da, 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 you know, moo, 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 until we can kind of get that. See, that doesn't really make sense to me because I'm such a language-oriented person. I really want us targeting real words and words that make sense and, more importantly, words that a kid can use because we've got to really teach kids that words are power and that they can communicate and that everybody's life gets easier when they talk and that we know what they mean. And so, again, that's why I don't really – advocate approaches that would talk about using some some non nonsense syllables or what we would refer to that as speech language pathologists parents might just again call it babbling or something i don't really do that and again i've explained why so i hope that makes sense to you but pick pick your own philosophy there and decide what works all right so or what works for you or what makes sense for that kid now if a kid really likes that kind of jibber jabber you don't even have to worry about this kind of goal because he's already doing it. You know that he can sequence syllables together. You know that that's not a problem for him. So, again, we're talking about several different kids here and several different issues, and I don't want you to think that, you know, we're kind of all over the place uh, with what we're looking at here, but I just want to be sure that we're covering our bases with if this is what this kind of kid is doing, then this goal isn't even a big deal because he already uses more than one syllable in a word. All right, so what are some treatment ideas here? What are some things that we can do? Well, I've already talked about those early words that have more than one syllable, and especially the syllables that can just be repeated in the same sequence. And again, that's going to be easier for a kid because they don't have to switch the vowels to, with the next syllable. They don't have to switch the consonant. They're just taking that one 
uh, syllable that they can say, whether it's, you know, consonant, vowel, like in mama, that's a CV, CV, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But they can take that. They can already do the ma part, so you just want to get them to repeat it. So the mama, dada, bye-bye, night-night. Even for a word, if they were saying a word like cook for cookie, if that's what they were trying to do, here with a kid like this, I would just try to get cuckoo or kiki. Take though mostly what he's already saying, what he what what part of that word he can already do. So if he's saying ah for cracker, we would try to get ah ah for cracker. And again, it's not perfect, but it's closer. And so again, don't miss my point here. You can still have some sound substitutions or omissions, meaning omission if you're a parent listening to this that that means just what it sounds like a kid has left off some sounds he's deleted it it still would be better for him to say i i for cracker than i for cracker do you get that does that make sense to you it's going to be easier for you to pick it out even though he's still leaving off the consonants at the beginning and in the middle and he's got to substitute that that second ah for the er part for cracker he's he's got he's he's using a sound for that but it's it's wrong but it's still easier and you've got to start somewhere <laughs> and so this syllableness is where you would start another thing that i like to do with this level is target animal sounds so moo moo for a cow or woof woof for a dog or even if you were just going to do a pant here just getting a <sighs> get two syllables there get two parts of that word sequenced so that's what you want to think about with these kids some of these kids really really respond pretty well to kinesthetic approaches and so what does that mean if you're a parent you're going to give his little body something to do so i usually start with a clap so for a kid like this and let's say we were using um dada for example and we were working on that word and we were we and he usually says da and we were going to try to get da da so you clap on both parts of that da da and take a kiss little hands and help him clap toddlers usually if you make it fun enough and you're smiling and you're having a great time with it they usually don't resist unless we are unless they're in a just not in a good place not in a good mood they're not regulated or unless we've made it more like work or more of a chore or we're being too demanding behaviorally but if you'll just lighten up and make it kind of fun and kind of silly that's where a lot of kids will do it i've jumped with kids on this kind of thing or you know just stomped my foot a little bit but let them really hear and see and feel that second syllable get in there and you'll have to do it a lot and again don't wear it out don't spend 60 minutes or you know 58 minutes of a 60 minute session doing this <laughs> you'll work it in so that when you're hearing a word like that and you're doing a little activity and you're playing and let's say that you're playing with um let's say you're playing outside and this little boy who likes trucks and so you might and he's got a whole bunch of things there he's got let's say you could do tractor and you're just going to clap you know track i hope you can hear it tractor you know dump truck dozer for bulldozer or whatever whatever you're you know backhoe whatever you've called these things just be sure that you're really emphasizing the syllables there and again clapping jumping kicking patting patting legs uh, patting their little legs or a lot of times I've even patted a, a child's face I remember one little 
sweet little boy that I used to do that to all the time. And so he would start to do it to me, you know. He would, and when he tried to say Laura, he said wah wah, you know. Finally, <laughs> and would just reach up and pat my face on that for you know wah wah. So again, look at the words they're already trying to say. Keep it super super fun. Give them the little feedback to their bodies. And try to think about creatively how can I work this into what we're already trying to do. So whatever our play routine is, you know, what two-syllable words can I try to get and make it as easy as possible. And, again, you're not going for perfection here. If a kid who's just called, let's go back to our cracker example. He's just said, I, I, or I for cracker. As soon as he says, I, I, really, really reward that because all you're going for here is the syllableness, two syllables together. Don't worry about those other sounds yet. That will come. All right, so that's our first target. Is a child using the correct number of syllables in a word? And remember we're talking about toddlers here. If you have a five- or six-year-old that you're working with and developmentally they're closer to five and six and in this toddler age range, there's certainly other approaches and other techniques and you can use, that you can use. But we're talking about toddlers. <laughs> we're talking about babies that are, you know, two and three. And let me just say, I wouldn't do any of this at all until a kid is really past that two and a half, closer to three mark. Uh, I, I just would emphasize language and words and not worry too much about the speech intelligibility piece until developmentally they're, they're closer to that third birthday than anything. Um, but my point about that was if, if you're working with an older child, say with Down syndrome, who's seven or eight and he's trying to talk in phrases and already is past a lot of this, uh, again, there, there's probably other techniques that would be better. So we're really keeping our focus here in this toddler age range. All right, second treatment priority that we're going to do is the child using correct vowel sounds in a word. Now, vowels really, really impact intelligibility. And I think I said in last week's show, when I went to grad school, we didn't talk a lot about vowels at all. We just sort of talked about how to fix consonant sounds. And that's just really a shame because vowels are what contribute to intelligibility much more so than consonants. If a kid messes up a consonant, you can you can figure it out a lot more easily than if he messes up the vowel in a word. So how do we treat vowels? Well, Pam Marshalla has a ton of great resources for that. I bought her um, book, or I think it was actually it was on CD years and years ago, Vowel Tracks. It was called the a great series that you can get your hands on that if you're a speech pathologist and want to want to get some more advanced techniques on what we're talking about here today. But even if you are a parent, Pam Marcella has some great stuff on YouTube where she gives some hand cues as she's working with children with uh, really difficult uh, a difficult time getting correct vowel sounds. And she really starts everything with a neutral vowel. And so the neutral vowel, too, is that uh sound. It's kind of... I like calling it a neutral vowel because I think that's a perfect description. And we're not going to get too technical about, you know, is it an open vowel, a front, a mid, a high, a low? If you're a speech pathologist, you know what those things mean. But if you're a parent, that's just way too confusing. So take a look at that video. And, again, we want to keep the show where we're kind of in the in the middle for everybody but if you're a parent, I still think you can use some of these cues, and I've used them with children too. But she does a lot of hand motions where she starts with an uh, that uh sound, but then you can start there and manipulate a child's mouth. So this sounds a little bit like prompt for you speech pathologists. But you can give, give some cues 
so that the child, again, is making that neutral vowel, but because you change the shape of his mouth, the sound is also going to change. So if you have an ah, you can get to an ah by just lowering the jaw, opening the mouth. So you would say to a child, oh, let's make it big, open, ah. Um, I like to do this kind of working from that uh sound to get to the next vowel, always in the context to play. And my favorite trick here is just leaning into an open container. So if we're in the kitchen, it might be a, a pot that we've pulled out from under the counter or from where mom keeps the pots and pans. It could be an empty bucket. It could be a tube, a toilet paper tube or a paper towel tube, anything like that because ah is what... <laughs> All of us just kind of instinctively say when we do that, and I've had really good luck getting getting kids to kind of vary their vowel sounds. And that's another thing here. A lot of a lot of toddlers at this level, if you're really being super picky about how you analyze it, may only have one or two vowel sounds. And so you've got to try to get some variability going. And even if the even if their new vowel in a word is wrong, it's I would still look at it as success if I heard different vowels and got more, just a bigger repertoire to pull from. So, so that's, again, the idea and the theory that we're going with here. Okay, so if we start with an uh, another thing we can do is just help a kid retract his lips so it's like a smile and they write into the E. And that's a good trick. And a lot of kids, you know, with how phone crazy we all are, <laughs> we're taking pictures with our phones so many times we've said to a kid, you know, tell me cheese or say, you know, e. And so a lot of times that's how I'll get a kid to, to move to that vowel. Um, a lot of times you can get parents to practice that every day for a kid who doesn't have that long e sound by when they're brushing their teeth. So that's a good time for moms and dads to practice that. You could even have the kid in the bathroom looking in the mirror and doing e with that. Another early vowel sound that we can target, beginning with that uh sound, is moved to an ooh, as in choo-choo. And I really like to tell kids, you know, ooh, we're going to pucker up for a kiss. You know, ooh, I love you. And that's a good way to kind of do it. Um, choo-choo and woo-woo for trains are also a really good way to work that vowel sound in. And then the last uh, vowel cue that Pam Marshalla gave in her video that was, again, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Pam Marshalla Vowel Cues, and gosh, it's seven or eight years old now, but I've used this and sort of incorporated it in with lots and lots of kids who need this kind of practice. But um, And, and look, look at that video and look at her cues there, but the last one she does there is O. Oh. So then you open your mouth around your lips and go into a big O. Oh. Um, and I, I have just so much fun with this with kids just doing, you know, like we're yelling, oh, oh, oh. And it's fun to do it if you're acting surprised or if you're scared, you know, pretend like you're scaring each other. Um, that might be a fun thing to do. Another thing that I do with vowel sounds in words is really make sure that we're exaggerating and emphasizing the vowel sound. And you can do that uh, really well with the more sing-song kind of prosody your voice. So things like open or um, we talked about those animal sounds before, just like moo or even play sounds, you know, yay or woohoo or uh-oh. Just emphasize those vowel sounds and really, really exaggerate and make sure that you're kind of dragging that vowel out. <laughs> 
Another thing that I do when I'm working with children with vowels, and this is a, sort of the language part of the goal, is teach prepositions that begin with initial vowels. And so words, and this is so functional, and again, this is the language person in me, and these words start with vowels, if you'll think about it, up, in, out, off, on. Those are great words to target for kids who need work with vowels. And I like those words, too, because the vowel is at the beginning of the word, and that's a lot easier for a lot of kids who are struggling with intelligibility. And it also makes it more uh, salient, so it's, it's easier for them to pick it out. It's the most important part of the word if they've done that first. So when you're working with things like that, you'll play with toys where you have to put things in and out and really exaggerate that difference as you're saying, you know, in and out and make your mouth big and do lots of exaggerated facial expressions so they're really paying attention to it and really, really elongate that word. All right, the next target. So we've already done first the correct number of syllables in the word, and then we looked at vowel sounds. And after that, what is the next most important priority after we get a kid moving along with that? Next would be looking at the variety of syllable shapes. So this is where the consonant vowel thing comes in. And remember last week, or last show, when we were talking about the A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y, we think about those as our vowels and then all the other letters in the alphabet for English are consonants. And so take a look, and this is a little more tricky, a little pickier if you're a parent, but look at what your kid can already say and keep a little word journal and write down not only the word but how he says it. So let's take some examples. Let's say that he says milk, car, open and hot. All right, and so let's say for milk, you probably traditionally are going to write down M-I-L-K, but he really doesn't say it that way. Let's say that he says meh for milk or muh for milk. You know, he's got that neutral vowel going. He doesn't have great vowels yet, and he still haven't kind of worked all that out. But what would that, if we were looking just simply at syllable shape, what would that be? How would you classify that word milk? Even though you wrote it down as M-I-L-K, C-V-C-C, that pattern, he only says meh or muh. So that would just be what? CV. So that's one kind of syllable shape. All right, look, what was the next? I forgot what the next word that we said that he said was. Let's just go with something like hot. Let's say you would write it H O T, which would be C V C, but you really listen to him and he leaves that last T off. He just says ha. That's still just a CV pattern. And then you start looking at all of his words and you realize, oh, my goodness, that's part of the problem. He only says words that start with consonants and have just one other sound there, so the vowel. And then you start thinking, well, no wonder that's what's going on here. He doesn't have a big enough variety of syllable shapes. So what do you do? You teach him some new words that have some different shapes. Or you try to look at some of the words that he's already saying that he says incorrectly. And usually children, let's just say this too. Oh, this is going to get too technical, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it for speech pathologists. <laughs> usually children who are firmly making the same error over and over, meaning they say up. They say uh without the P, and that's their word for up, 
over and over and over and over and over and over and over. That's usually a phonological error. That kid, when he gets his formal speech diagnosis, it might be phonological disorder. He uses the phonological process of final consonant deletion because he leaves off all those final sounds, which, by the way, is a pretty typical developmental error, and we don't expect kids to correct that until they're over 36 months. All right, but let's just say that we... Oh, gosh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. But let's just say that we're looking at that. You you want to take words that he's already trying to say and see if you can get a different pattern. That's what it was. I'm back on track now. A different pattern with words he already knows and words he already uses. So in that case, you would try to get that consonant at the end if he's developmentally ready because that's a word he already tries to say. We already talked about that next pattern, which is we've talked uh, CVCV, which is that duplicated pattern, meaning a word that starts with a consonant, then there's a vowel, and then another consonant and another vowel, words like mama, dad, dad, night, night, bye-bye, we've already talked about. Those words, again, if you have a kid who isn't doing that pattern, that's sort of an easier one to get, so that would be one to do. There are numerous, numerous kinds of configurations with syllable shapes here. So just sort of take a look. Again, that word journal is going to be really, really valuable. What it, The words a kid tries to say and then write down how he says it. And again, if you're a parent, don't freak out and think you have to, you know, Google the international phonetic alphabet and use all the same funny symbols that a speech pathologist does. You don't have to do that. You can really take, I've had tons of moms do this, just that really simple approach and just analyze it by consonants versus vowels and see if you need to add some new syllable shapes and, and get there. Now, if you're already working with a speech pathologist, and I hope that you all are if you're listening to the show and you're a parent, talk to your therapist about this and say, hey, I was listening to this podcast and I think he's ready to work on intelligibility and I know you've targeted that too and you know, kind of went down our little list here and he's got some, uh, you know, he's doing some, more than one syllable, he's getting the right number of syllables in the word most of the time, and, you know, I think he's got a lot of vowel sounds, but I'm really having trouble with this next one, which is looking at the variety of syllable shapes, so help me out with that. And so therapists can really, really help you analyze that and think about that, and better yet, they can give you target words. And again, let me just say, take what a kid is already trying to do in his existing vocabulary and see if you can clean up some of those words to get some new syllable shapes. If you can't, that's okay. You may have to teach, go back and teach some vowels in the previous um, goal, teach some new sounds so that they can morph into new words and he can expand his vocabulary more. But sometimes starting with what he can already do is better than trying to teach some new words. Let me just say, though, but for some kids, learning that new word is easier because it's brand new, you can teach that new pattern, and especially if it's a word that they really, really need. So pay attention to maybe words that he's not saying. Let's say that he always wants to go outside, but he doesn't have a word for that. Or let's say that he said go for that or door for that. Outside may be something that you teach. And again, that's a pretty complex word, but you could teach, you know, uh, he could say "ow I" for outside, change those vowels, and you would know what he means. So look at some of that, and look at you know how can I how can I finagle with the syllable shapes to see if I can get uh, even some new words with something that he's super super motivated to try, and that's um, 
that's certainly worth pursuing. I remember now where I started a second ago when I was talking about phonological disorders. Those kids usually are pretty consistent, and kids with dysarthria or low muscle tone and they have slurred speech, those kids' errors are pretty consistent. So they will usually say the word in the same way every single time they try to say it. Kids who are apraxic or who have motor speech, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that that's the root of their that's their diagnosis their speech diagnosis why their speech is not intelligible. One of the hallmarks of apraxia is using inconsistent versions of words. So they they might say try to say Elmo one time they try to say Mo one time they'll just say Oh for it they may say Eh Eh for Elmo. So you're never quite sure with those kids what they're saying because they change it all the time. <laughs> They're not as consistent, and again, that's one of the diagnostic pictures of apraxia. But for some of those kids, too, that that'll, they really need to work on their variety of syllable shapes. So next week we're going to talk about specific, or next show, we're going to talk about specific diagnoses that if a kid has this pattern, this is probably the diagnosis, and if a kid does this, it's probably this diagnosis. We'll save that for next show. But you'll also probably, when you start to look at a kid's existing vocabulary in this way, get a good idea of it, of what the speech diagnosis may turn out to be and, and kind of the root cause or the why his speech is so intelligible. And so that's why this kind of analysis can be super, super important. All right, let's keep this rolling along because I want to finish these five targets or five initial um, goals as we're going through this hierarchy because this really, again, uh, working on speech intelligibility is as individualistic as the number of children you see because children make all kinds of errors. But if we can just think about this hierarchy, you'll be able to address the main problems and make the most impact in improving a toddler's speech intelligibility, and it's an easier way to kind of wrap your head around it and, again, get the most bang for your buck. So we've talked about the first three, correct number of syllables in words. We've talked about the second one, the correct vowel sounds. The third one we just talked about using the variety of syllable shapes. So let's say that you, and, and I've gotten this question before, how many syllable shapes should a toddler be using? I try to go for four or five different different ones. So he might have words that are strictly just a vowel, words like O, um, and, and kids who might use a word like up, but again, they've left off the final P there. That way, I would just consider that syllable shape, you know, just a single vowel. And then consonant vowel is another really common pattern. Vowel consonant, we just talked about that with up. We talked about CVCV words, those duplicated words where they repeat the same syllable at the end. But a lot of other words will have that CVCV pattern, but they're changing something about that, which is what we're going to talk about in the next um, goal. But look for four or five different uh, configurations here. Uh, a word like open would be vowel consonant, vowel consonant, and then certainly our CVC words like cat and cup. But I look for four or five different patterns, and I think we just talked about six different patterns there, V, CV, VC, CVC, VC, VC, CVC. Those are the most common ones. But look at what a kid is already doing. Analyze his, his existing vocabulary, too, to see and make sure that you've got, got a, at least four or five different patterns there. If not, you need to work on it and get some different target words in there. 
All right, so next target, number four, can a child change the vowel sound from syllable to syllable? And so many of our little friends have a hard time with this. And I try to just target this with exclamatory words and their core vocabulary or familiar words. So this is where we take a word like mama and try to get mommy or dada and get daddy and cookie and words that they're repeating words that you've been happy that they've gotten let's go back to a word like cracker you know remember we were talking about we're going to be happy with ah, ah, at the beginning for cracker because at least he's gotten ah, ah, he's gotten that two syllables here's where we would start to change it a little bit and shape it so we're trying to get something like you know ah, uh, for cracker which would be you know the uh would be a much more common substitution if you can't get the full er for a kid who's just a toddler, that R, that vowelized R comes later for a lot of kids. Uh, but here is where you try to switch that and make that sound a little bit more mature. Um, I do it with animal sounds, you know, meow for, you know, a kitty cat sound. Uh, words, again, we've talked about mommy, daddy, baby, kitty. Analyze all those words because you start with one vowel and then you change it and put that E at the end. And again, that diminutive pattern, instead of saying horse, a kid is saying horsey. Instead of saying dog, a kid is saying doggy. That's something that we hear so frequently in toddler speech anyway. So it's an easier pattern to target. I also pay attention to this, even looking at this kind of production pattern even from a language perspective with changing the vowel sound in the next word so like more please if a kid has done you know all all for more whatever that second word has was supposed to be and we've accepted it just because he's we're so happy he's trying to join two words now is where we try to sort of shape that and so again from a language perspective look at his existing vocabulary and see what you can get even phrase wise and help him with his established words that he can already say help him learn how to change vowels even if it's from word to word versus syllable to syllable in the same word. I hope that makes sense to you. I, I do have good luck here also using the target word my paired with something they really like. So my shoe, my book, my ball, my cup, even my mommy. Oh gosh, to, you know, teasingly hold onto a mom's shoulders and look at a kid, you know, and again, you've got that real joking look on your face where they know it's a joke and you're going, ooh, my mommy. That's a good one. I've had really good luck with using my at the beginning there. Not only for this goal where we're looking at changing the vowel from syllable to syllable, but even for kids who have a hard time getting phrases, they just can't get that second word in there, that's a winner to pair my with another word that they like and something that they want and you're acting like you're going to jokingly take it from them and they a lot of times will just pop that little phrase back out to you because they're possessive and defensive and again do it in a way that doesn't make them mad or hurt their feelings or set them off you want to make sure that they with a you know twinkle in your eye that they get that you are playing with them but that's a really really good way to get that the next uh, let's move on here because I really do want to finish all six of these 
priorities. The next one, after we've looked at vowel sounds from syllable to syllable, now we start to look at consonants. So this is our fifth goal. Can the child use beginning consonants? So can he get a consonant in the first position or the initial position in the word? And here's where a lot of therapists start when they're thinking about speech intelligibility is looking at initial consonants or the beginning sound in a word. And can you see how much you've missed if that's where you started with intelligibility, can you see where you might not have thought too much about the number of syllables in the word or if you could use correct vowel sounds or if he had a variety of syllable shapes or if he could switch those vowel sounds? Can you see how you might have missed a lot? <laughs> and I remember when I first started thinking about speech intelligibility and treating it and and just focusing on it. And again, this is not a huge percentage of my caseload anymore, but I used to have more kids that I saw that that really needed this. Um, and it was eye-opening for me when I started thinking about things beyond their consonant sounds. So if, you, if that's been you, that's okay. Now you know better, so you'll do better. But here and only now, <laughs> we, we start to really think about those beginning consonants. So again, treatment ideas here. Look at what consonant sounds he can say already in his established words and start with new words with those sounds or look at maybe he has an M correctly when he says a word like mama because he says it a thousand times a day. <laughs> and then look to see maybe there's another time, another word that should start with an initial M sound but he doesn't get the M in that word that's what you would go for because it's already something that he's trying to do. Or let's say that he has an M, but you notice that he doesn't have any words that start, and he can do an M, let's say, in Mama, in More, maybe his brother's name is Mike, and he says all of those, but you think, hmm, now he doesn't use up any words that start with B or P, and B or P are in, made in that same place in his mouth, and so that would be another target for you because he's already trying that sound. He's already got a really close sound. And so we can shape that M to become a P or a B. So you would introduce words that start with P and B, you know, bubble, pop, balloon, um, book, ball, and think about, okay, you know, what can he already do? Let me look and see what's close. And then so many children, when we start doing this, really do have a vocabulary explosion because we've thought about it a little bit. We've applied this theory, and we help them, <laughs> even from a language perspective, while we're working on this Arctic stuff, and they'll have kind of another little vocabulary explosion because they, we, we've used this theory, we've used what we know, and we've introduced some new word possibilities. So look at that, too. So we've talked about P's, B's, and M's. Those are easy consonant sounds or early consonant sounds. Some kids have a hard time with it because they can't get their lips together. Um, and you'll have to just work on that. There's some tricks for that. We might talk about those kinds of real specific cues or things that you can do in another show. But for today, we're looking at, again, you know, taking what a kid can already do and think, how can I change it a little bit? So P's, B's, and M's are sounds that, goes, that go together, so those bilabials. The next little set of consonant sounds, early consonants, T's, D's, and N's, and those are all made in the middle of your mouth. So if he already has a D in dada or in down, 
think about, oh, gosh, does he have a word that starts with T? Does he say two? Is he two? <laughs> you know, does he have a word that starts with N? Does he use the word no? You know, that's a powerful word. And so look at what sounds he already makes and can do and think, what can I change this? How can I, how can I expand it? How can I uh, help him move on to these new words or help him become more intelligible? Other early consonant sounds here to target an, an H at the beginning is a good pattern because you can really emphasize the breathiness, the <sighs> So I like that, you know, hat, hot, high. And again, you know, hello, overemphasize it or emphasize it at the beginning. It's okay if you have a lot of words that sound <laughs> not adult-like at all when you were working on uh, early intelligibility with children. So really emphasize the, that's a pattern that a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of kids who haven't been able to get that H, and we work on it a little bit, and then it comes in, and then we have lots and lots of word possibilities because they've gotten a new sound. And then certainly an initial W is uh, also a lip-rounding sound, and if they're doing a P or a B, boy, I try to get a W too because I, I, they already have that uh, basic mouth movement kind of going. Now let me give you another trick that I use here when, with initial consonants. Pair those with the vowel that he can already do or with the vowel sound made in the same part of the mouth, that's going to make it easier. And again, it's beyond the scope of this show for us to really classify vowels as front and mid and back and high and low and all of those other distinctions that we can do. If you're a parent, talk to a speech pathologist about it. If you're like me and you have to go, you know, <laughs> bring out the phonetics chart and really kind of remember all of that stuff, that's okay. You know, there's some kids that just require us to sharpen our skills and to think about things in a much more technical way than we language people like to do it. But really think about that and think, you know, what would be easiest with this consonant, with this consonant sound? Where is that made in the mouth? Let me see if I can come up with an easier pattern for him um, and look at it that way. All right, last pattern that significantly affects intelligibility in toddlers would be ending consonant sounds. Now, let's just repeat ourselves one more time. Children, typically developing children, consonant sounds are going to come in early too, but it's not an error per se unless a kid is not closing syllables or using ending consonant sounds until he's, he's 36 months developmentally, so that third birthday. So I think I said it a lot on the last show, and I think I've already mentioned it a couple of times on this show. I don't work on final consonant sounds until I've worked on all of this other stuff <laughs> and until a kid language-wise is closer to where he needs to be and until I am sure that he is really close to being developmentally, not chronologically, but developmentally three. And, again, this is final consonants. I have seen so many therapists over the years try to work on this goal too soon. And it is because it's a really common pattern when we treat kids at the preschool level. And if you're a preschool SLP listening to the show, you probably have, you know, the majority of your caseload of kids who aren't doing final consonants. It's a really common pattern. So that makes it an, kind of a low-hanging fruit. It's an easier target. But let me just say, save yourself some heartache and don't work on it until that kid is really developmentally ready. So, and also, let me just say, we want to start with vowel sounds that are unvoiced or voiceless because those are easier. So 
P's, T's, and K's. I'll do some M's and N's too because they're nasals and continuants, and you can you know stop that sound there. Mm. But when we work on, and this is a little bit technical for you parents, but let me just say, try to stick with words that end with P, T, K, M, and N. When you try to work on, let's say, a word that ends with a final G or a final D or a final B, like bug, and you try to emphasize it and exaggerate it like we talked about already on the show, you end up sounding, you know, bug or bed, bed Don't do that. And, and why am I telling you this? Because lots of us have had to learn that lesson the hard way because we've had to undo <laughs> that error in a child, let's say his parents have really tried to work on it or you made that mistake when you were a young clinician and nobody corrected you and you didn't know that. Uh, and Or maybe even with your own kids who their final consonants were coming in and you overdid that little emphasizing the last sound too much and you got a kid who sounded like that. So start with the unvoiced sounds first, PTK. And again, if you want to throw in an M or an N, that's okay too. Um, I try to work on two words that have the same beginning and ending consonant sounds. So words like pop, poop is a big one. All two-year-olds like to talk about poop. <laughs> it's it's an important uh, it's an important target. You know, parents are trying to potty train usually at that uh, point too. So that's a good one. Pup, peep, you get the idea. So think about what words you can use. Uh, cake, coke. If a parent will let a kid have a soft drink that, you know, I certainly made, you know, felt like, boy, I got bigger fish to fry with my kids and let them drink way too much coke when they were little. But that certainly is a coke. It's a good word, and I've had some little friends who over the years weren't very motivated to try some final consonants, and I you know, said to mom, you know, you're sitting over there slurping down the Coke. Let's just try this word. He doesn't get Coke very much. This will be a big treat, and parents will you know, acquiesce to my silly request and do it, and we do it, and it works. So, again, look at what would be really, really motivating for a kid. I have some word lists that go with all of these goals, and um, we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks and how you can access some of that information. But today what I wanted to do is really give you an overview of what these first targets should be, and it will just make your life so much easier if you stick to this hierarchy and don't try to work out of order with that. Don't start with final consonants. You know, that was the last thing we talked about. You know, So be sure that you're paying attention to what your hierarchy should be and what's going to, again, make the most impact when you're thinking about speech intelligibility with toddlers. And let's just end the show with me giving another kind of cautionary note about working on or overdoing it with focusing on articulation or getting the right sounds in the right places. I've seen a lot of families and therapists, and I've been guilty of it sometimes too, with really working on speech intelligibility too soon with the kid. And we said it at the beginning of the show, but I want to say it again. If you start to see behaviors that you have never seen before, if you're feeling a lot of resistance from a kid, he's, he used to love speech and now he hates it, or he just he talks a blue streak and now he just shuts up or he becomes real, real aggressive or you just start to see his little personality morph you may be paying too much attention to speech intelligibility or articulation, and so you know you need to back off a little bit. I've also had children become really, really disfluent or start to stutter when their parents overemphasize how 
they sound versus what they're saying. And so pay attention to that. If you start to see some, again, new things that you've never noticed before, if a kid seems a lot more frustrated or if if you're his therapist and he has just started to cry and complain and not be his happy, playful, fun self, know that you're hitting it too hard. Back off. Wait a little bit. Work on language a little bit. Uh, don't even what I've done with kids like this is sort of start over. I just I just tell mom and dad we are not going to do anything except model. So if if we're if he says ah for car and we're really trying to get car, that's all we would do. We would just uh, go into again really really modeling for him and really saying here's your car. I like your car. Ooh, that red car. We're going to play with that car today. You love cars. And you have really modeled the you know auditory bombardment, the appropriate number of times for him to really, really hear that sound. And you may not ask him to say car at all. Or even if you ask him to say it and he says R and doesn't put the initial K in there, and you've felt him become really, really um, more frustrated, that's enough, you know, that you know, well, okay, he's just not ready yet. I'm going to back off a little bit. I'm not going to make this problem worse by working on it too hard. We're going to take a little lighter approach here and make it real fun, and I'm just going to model, model, model that focus stimulation over and over and over again so he hears the correct sound. Occasionally I'll ask him to say it, but I'm not going to ask him to correct his version of car you know, 57 times in 10 minutes, that's overkill. And kids who are toddlers are not developmentally ready for that. Even kids who are three and four, that may be way too much. And you start to see that frustration level, <coughs> excuse me, just build and build and build. So watch for that. Listen for that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I got an email from a mom this week. I'm going to take a drink. Who shared a story with me, and I'm not going to share her name or anything. Um, but who said she's a speech pathologist, she does not work with children. She has a little boy who's just turned three. His speech is highly unintelligible, so she started the cycles approach, which is the Hodson kind of older version, the stuff we would do with preschoolers, but sort of, you know, it's what a lot of the, these techniques are based on. So really looking at sound patterns. And she said he's really started to exhibit a lot of behaviors before that she had never seen and she was asking me you know you know she's she's giving me some examples so she said could he all of a sudden have autism <laughs> you know he's starting to walk on his toes and he's you know she gave some other examples I don't remember exactly what they were but again she had never noticed these behaviors and I haven't seen this child I don't know what's going on I don't know if they just missed a lot of these red flags and then suddenly they're showing up or could it be, which is one of the possibilities I suggested to her, that she's just placing way too much importance on articulation because I've seen that happen a lot where kids literally shut down or have big temperament changes all because we are focusing on the wrong things. So don't overdo it with this speech stuff. Be sure that you're looking and that you're meeting a kid where they are when they need the speech intelligibility focus hey, they're going to get it because they're going to grow up and mature, but in this toddler phase, it may be too much, and it may be that we need to focus again on communication and just do intelligibility or life <laughs> where it's a little bit of our focus and where we just kind of sneak it in and we're, again, doing that real focus modeling 
without the pressure of asking them to perform. And they may need to really have us work on this Arctic, again, just from the standpoint of we're modeling, 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 and we may give them, you know, Caroline Bowen says, Dr. Caroline Bowen, who's a, a speech pathologist from Australia, you know, world-renowned, says we need to give 12 to 18 models of a target before we expect a kid to, before we even ask for the first production on that kid's part. So think about those things this time. Next show we'll pick back up. We'll talk a little bit more about that, those recommendations from Dr. Bowen, which are excellent, by the way. And I'm going to give you some more resources in the next show, and then we're going to quickly look at the diagnostic piece for apraxia, phonological disorders, phonological delay, and kind of dysarthria, and talk about sort of how to sort all of those diagnostic uh, labels out so that you know more about why a child's speech is unintelligible. But until then, I hope that these targets get you on the right track and that you are a lot more comfortable and a lot more successful in the past. Thanks so much.